This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by my book, Breaking Bad Faith, Exposing Myth and Violence in Popular Theology to Recover the Path of Peace. I'm Michael Camp. The book helps people break damaging beliefs that are based on myths. It exposes the big lie that God brings justice through retribution, punishment, imprisonment, the death penalty, lenient gun laws, American wars, final judgment, and eternal damnation. It's a religious crap detector. In case you're wondering, that is a theological term. The book uses sound history to reveal the love and restorative justice narratives of Jesus and the prophets. There are real-life stories, many outside Christianity, about people plotting peace rather than revenge to fight evil. Find it at Amazon.com. Welcome to Honoring the Journey. I'm Leslie Neese, one of your hosts, along with my friend Karen Schock, two midlife mamas of adult kids who've been through deconstruction, actually still going through it. We're going to be discussing all things faith and deconstruction. We're going to chat with guests who've had faith journeys that are beautiful, worthy of honor and exploring. And we're going to dive into different faith practices, ideas, and ways to connect with the divine without the religious baggage. Both Karen and my faith journeys are evolving, and they're filled with curiosity and a willingness to explore all things. Thank you so much for journeying with us here on Honoring the Journey. Welcome back to Honoring the Journey. I'm Leslie Neese here with my friend Karen Schock, and we are so excited today to welcome a friend of mine, Sarah Heath, also known on the internet as Rev Sarah and Sarah Makes Space. She has some amazing things going on in her life that I can't wait to dive into (laughs) and talk to her about. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. It's good to be here with you guys. Well, we're so excited that you're here. Karen just met Sarah for the first time. Karen, I, I've only known since like, I don't know if you know this, Sarah, since like December. <laughs> we, we're getting and to know each other through a podcast. <laughs> right. But I heard you on Revcovery. So ah, that's, yeah. No way. Yeah. I that's how I heard that. your story. Uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. yeah. So I actually shared my story of deconstruction with Sarah on Revcovery, which is, she's one of the co-hosts for that with Justin Gentry. And they were so kind to extend an offer to let me share my story. And that's when it all sort of started to unravel a little bit more for me in a good way. <laughs> in a more public way. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yes. Yeah. I had been very quiet for about seven years until that podcast. And it, I guess it was like my first time flexing my muscles and sharing my story. So Sarah, you have a very special place in my heart for letting me do oh, that. Oh gosh. It was so good to have you on there. I think it's always fascinating when people come on and share their story. We have one that we recorded this week of a guy who um, he's actually pretty public figure. He has his own podcast, but he hasn't ever shared his like reason for doing it. And so it was so fascinating where we finished recording and he was like, yeah, I think that's the first time I really shared about being in a cult. (laughs) It's like, okay. He's like actually using language around, the community that I was a part of, like he has done a lot of processing and realizing it was indeed a cult. He actually did a really good job of sort of uh, keeping some mystery around which, because it's a fairly cult. huge, yeah, which cult. And, and it is, it it absolutely is. And I will give you a hint. It, it also is the name of a restaurant that are oh. initials. 
I think I might know oh, what you're yeah. talking yeah. about. I think we know. <laughs> so actual cult experts have done the work to, you know, people who don't have any investment around it, right? So people outside of outside of the work, they themselves have said, look, this the way that people aren't paid. Anyway, all that to yes. say it's fascinating to me. You bring people on and it's almost like in telling the story, they become more connected to the story. It's like the first time sure. an old pastor, Sarah, would have said, because words are creative, right? Words are how we make meaning in the world. I guess I'd still say that. I still say that. I stand behind that. <laughs> um, but I would have said, you know, like that's how the world came into being and all that is through words. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm really glad that your new world, Leslie, uh, has come through that through telling yeah. her story and being honest about it and not having to couch it in super, you know, uh, palatable language for those who knew you as sister Christian. So just getting to be Leslie sans sister Christian. Um, yeah, it's been is, fun. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been scary. There have been days where I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there've been and more I'm, days of, I'm so glad I did this. So, well, and I'm glad to be in that journey with you because I think the more we can, uh, kind of be with people that are like this. What am I? Yes. You know, I'm sure Karen, the first time you heard her story, it was more of a like me too experience. It wasn't like, what is wrong with this woman? Well, I'm hoping since you're working with her. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And talk to her and be her friend. Yep. That's awesome. Well, okay. So Sarah, we want to know a little bit about your background. And sure. one way we like to kind of delve into it is to ask people who are coming from sort of like either an evangelical church or whatever, if you're coming from that space, is there something that you used to believe or impose or teach or think that yeah. now you you would like have a cringe moment when you think of it? <laughs> yeah. And a part of my story that I think is important to know is that I did not grow up in an evangelical setting until I was 14. And so I had lived in Canada from the time I was born until I was 14. My mom is British. My dad's Canadian. I grew up in a in a more progressive setting than a lot of people who end up um, kind of on this side of the journey. So I grew up in a very open, open space. My parents are very, they're progressive thinkers. They're willing to hear people's opinions. Um, what? They're, yeah, they're, they're incredible uh, in so many ways. Uh, anyway, so they moved us, however, when I was 13, 14. Uh, I turned 14 right after moving to Mississippi. And Wait, from Canada to from Canada. Mississippi. Yeah, into Mississippi. Mississippi. And yeah, and I did not know a lot about America, which, um, you know, I often tell this story because I think it's funny. But the only thing I really knew about America was like the TV shows, right? And so uh, like Saved by the Bell, which is only funny because the actress who plays Kelly Book Kapowski is actually a friend of mine now. Uh, you know, her husband more, but uh, I know her yeah. as well. And I'm always like, <laughs> just so you know, Tiffany, you were what I thought America was. And so yeah. I moved to moved <laughs> to the South and I thought I should immediately become a, a part of the cool kids, date a football player. I didn't become a cheerleader. I did dance, but I did soccer and all that. But, but as you're hearing that, what you're hearing is someone trying to become part of the culture. And so part of that was evangelicalism for me. So even though I was Methodist, which is a more sure. um, progressive, perhaps, denomination than some, which now we're we're dealing with that, um, I came into the space of really wanting to fit in. And where I found my place was within a youth group, right? And that's lovely. And I don't regret that at all. Yep. The thing that I think I regret as far as believing and really investing in was purity culture. 
And I say that because I realized mm -hmm. how disembodied I became at 14 because it's a really mm -hmm. significant mm -hmm. time. So to begin to believe that my body was bad, to begin to think I needed to constantly police myself, it, it fit really well. And later I understood that it fit really well, probably because of some stuff that had happened in my past that I wasn't aware of. Again, please hear my family is amazing. It wasn't them. Um, but I, I think there was this safety in feeling terrible about myself because at least there was something I could do about that. So what that led to for me was I was such a goody two shoes. I was a sorority girl that like I think about... <laughs> Sometimes I think I need an apology to her where like I was the like righteous sister. You know, you might have been Sister Christian. I was sis Sister Righteous. Like Ooh. I, you know, I was just the one who like I people probably didn't know I was judging them, but like drunk sorority sisters would come in my room and like confess to me. And, I, you know, I was the one who was always brushing her teeth <laughs> in the sorority like mirror while they were all coming home. I only lived in the sorority house for one year because I didn't want to live around that kind of behavior, but you had to live at least one year of your schooling. Like I think through that, I think about how many missed opportunities. A, I had to feel normal about my body, about my sexuality. You know, I, I think I just, the one thing we laughed about recently, my friends and I sort of had this memory of, you know, I, I worked out with this guy who like looking back, I should have just as a straight woman working out with such a physically fit dude, like we should have like been into each other in our twenties and he probably was into me, but guys, he was making money by being an exotic dancer to um, support yes. his medical school friends. And I would just witness to this man instead of immediately try to date him. Like, I think wow. we just need to light a candle for baby yes. Sarah. Um, <laughs> she just, she missed out. I'm kidding. Um, and if he's listening to this kind of, I'm sorry that I was so judgy. And you know, and, I, and of course I had all these things like, oh, he was Catholic. My mom's Catholic. Like the, just kind of the amount of judginess that purity culture made me feel for myself and others and continued uh, to create a space that wasn't, instead of learning how to live responsibly within a body, it created boundaries and rules and things that I knew intrinsically. I mean, I was an athlete, so I was always around the other gender. And I just think about some of the damage that caused mm. to me and to others and missed out connections and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. the one I was like, that's my spiciest one. I mean, there's all the like weird, you know, demands that I made theologically, but for some reason, that's the one that's been the, the hardest in some ways um, to kind of own my own body and being again. Sarah, I just would like to take a minute to say to you, and I'm, I'm tearing up. I say this every time. I've just recently gone off my antidepressant. So I cry a lot now. I didn't cry before, but I just wanted to say to you on behalf of someone who was raised in evangelicalism and messed up and got pregnant before I was married and did all the things, but then decided to lead true love weights. So I would have been probably at the age you are, I would have been one of your leaders. Yeah. I just want you to know, I've said that so many times, like, I just really need to go on an apology tour. And so on behalf <laughs> of True Love Waits and Purity Culture, Sarah, I just would like to say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, you are, it is not you. I mean, I did the same thing, right? I became a youth leader. Um, and yeah. it's interesting because I would always teach that sort of stuff, but with a caveat, because I think I wanted it to be, I wanted people to feel normal within their skin because I yeah. dealt with eating disorder stuff. I dealt with, um, 
like really difficult body image stuff um, because of this easy to hate my own body thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I wanted that not to be the case for the girls I taught and the boys I was around. And I think, you know, we were given this script, like this is going to keep you safe. And so it's, it came from a good place, Karen. You wanted to protect people. And even the language you use now <clears throat> of I messed up. Well, you weren't given a narrative of healthy sexuality where Not at all. Um, where it wasn't a, a mess up, right? Where responsible sexuality could be happening, where you could even understand what was going on with your body or decisions or choices you were making. And so to use the language around I messed up you know, that shame is still there and it's still so deep. And I think we, the, the way we connected shame to our bodies is absolutely one of the worst things uh, and the judgment around it. I mean, I think the, I had the sense of judgment for people who are living into that freedom for themselves in, in college. And I think about, I think they're healthier people now. Their expectations around love, marriage, uh, pleasure, all these things mm -hmm. is like way more normal. Like I'm I'm the one who's having to do the had to do the work to get to a normal understanding of it's okay to exist in this in this body, you know? Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, I'm also thinking about all this stuff because I'm speaking this weekend at a, a church that's asked me to speak on this stuff. I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're just practicing. I love it. So, so Sarah, tell me how you went from being an evangelical, full in purity culture advocate to being a reverend. Tell me, what was that journey? You know what? I was, I was always in and out, right? Like, so they goofed around when I was in college and called me a Metho Baptist because I went to the Baptist uh, youth or college ministry and I went to the Methodist college ministry on campus. Um, and I was a sorority girl and I was playing, like, how did, why? Um, but I think it's <laughs> trying to work out my own salvation. I don't know. Um, but nothing sat because of the culture I grew up in, nothing sat totally perfect about that evangelical stuff, mm -hmm. particularly around female and male dichotomy. And like, you're supposed to be rescued. Um, and that's just not going to work when you're actually raised by, uh, the people I was raised by. My dad never, me being a woman was never an excuse. So I'm incredibly handy. And people always ask me like, where did you learn all these skills? I was like, cause my dad wasn't like, here, let's have the boy come and help. He was like, okay, someone hold this. That's you. Come here. <laughs> you know? And so oh, my awesome. whole life, I, I was allowed and allowed. I was asked to do what my brother was asked to do. And I grew up, you know, I played baseball instead of softball. Cause I wanted to hang out with my brother. Like I think about poor guy, like I just followed him around. Um, and so I, I already had that, like, this doesn't make sense. And I was trying to make it make sense, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to fit into the good Christian girl thing. And it was in college was the first time I got in trouble for that. So I went out dancing and I was on the leadership team of the Baptist student union and they called me in and I just didn't know I, I was Canadian. I didn't know you couldn't dance. I didn't know that was a role. And so there I am in this thing. And the guy's like, yeah, we heard you were at a club. And I was like, yeah, but I wasn't drinking. And he was like, yeah, but you were there. And you were dancing. And I was like, I've danced since I was two. Like, I'm on my <laughs> sorority dance team. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I was so confused by the moment. And then I sort of started to, like, peel away the layers. And 
you know, patriarchy is a weird thing, man. And so I started to, I think college was the place, you know, I was a biology major and a psychology major, and then also did like art and acting. And I was so interested in all these things. And I just wasn't interested in just being somebody's sidekick. Like that was just like the weirdest thing to me. And I think it started there, like the unraveling a little bit. And I will tell you, queer friends, I remember in college starting, like, trying on for a little bit this, like, narrative that uh, my friends who were part of the queer community, it was like alcoholism. You guys heard this one? Where it's like, I believed because of the culture I was raised in, I believed you were born that way. Absolutely. Right? Because I was born straight. So my experience is everyone else's experience, right? So (laughs) I – you were born – queer. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like alcoholism where some people are born with a, you know, with more of a desire for alcohol. And then you can, you can be holy by not drinking. Right. Right. And I thought about it and I was like, I remember, I actually remember thinking about this with one of my friends and thinking he is so incredible. Do I really believe that God would want him to be alone? Like what about that makes any sense from the God of the universe that you think, you know, and so it's kind of started to, and I remember telling my parents that I thought el- like being gay was like alcoholism and their faces were like, what the hell, who the hell raised this person, you know? Um, because I, my, I found out later, like one of my babysitters was queer and that was like totally normal and they were incredible and great men, you know, um, that helped when my parents were like, you know, oh, here, can you watch our child? Um, they were nurses and probably the best babysitters ever because they were nurses. Yeah, they knew exactly what to do. A lot of things and put things in my ears. So I think (laughs) there was just this like great uh, like severing between those two. And then when I went to seminary, I was just around more than evangelicalism. And I was around very intellectual faith, which for me was a big shift. So I think being around people that were having these deep and a lot of them came out of an evangelical tradition, but they were all moving more towards mainline and they were way more, yeah, just thoughtful. And there's mm-hmm. a larger history. Like, I think that the lie of evangelicalism that's kind of cute is that they think that they're like so big, but it's like very, 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 very minuscule part of both the history of Christianity and also the actual numbers. America oh, yeah. has a lot of evangelicals. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world doesn't. And And so so they're they're loud. Don't get me wrong. There is a, a, unfortunately, due to the missionary movement and colonialism, um, Africa has a lot of evangelicals because of Americans going and planting and like some of that is the, all of that. Um, So I think that sort of in in graduate school, I kind of, it was a return to self. I was a little bit more, oh, I can actually like swallow this. Like, can understand this. This makes a little bit more sense. And I was already part of the Methodist tradition, but I really in college recognized that for me to be who I really feel like I I was and am in some ways, um, I needed to be back in a more progressive setting. I couldn't imagine me going back to Mississippi. Now, the interesting thing is I moved to Southern California that is way more conservative than even Mississippi when it comes to women in ministry. Not within Methodist. Oh, Orange County oh. is the curtain. It is. It is very conservative here. 
however, surrounded by pockets of progressivism. So um, my own conference is very progressive and feels, you know, um, even as I've shifted in my own faith beliefs, still allows me to be reverencery, which is how you can find me on the internet somewhat. You know, you said Sarah Makes Space is the new iteration of the work that I'm doing. But yeah, so I think that shift started when I was in seminary. And then it's just sort of tumbled more and more. I tried when I moved here to be part of a evangelical church because that's where everyone that was my age and guys that were good looking and had at the time v-neck <laughs> t-shirts that's where they were um the but again it, oh i i just loved a like a male v-neck i don't know what and skinny and like jeans a, and stupid scarves why are you wearing a scarf and a beanie in the middle of summer um i was all into that and so as someone who listened to like alternative music and i was into emo and punk rock and all that so it was a good fit for me um but it also was very lonely and isolating because mm. I had to almost pretend to be someone I wasn't. And then when you get to know me and I'm like, oh, that's interesting that you have this interesting idea. Have you heard about Abelard or like anyone else who thought about these things like in different centuries? No? Cool. Um, and so I just like I could only I could only be a, so much a part of it. And I think that's a big part of my story is like trying to fit in and realizing only being able to get so far because eventually it was like, huh. Yeah, this isn't me. And I think, yeah, that's been the big shift, I guess. Wow. Well, I I can kind of relate because I felt the same. Like in evangelicalism, there were some things that I was like, this doesn't feel like me. But like I, I had bought into the fear that if I didn't believe it the way that I was taught that, you know, I was going to go to hell if I changed my beliefs. <laughs> and so <laughs> I stayed for a lot longer than you did. You were like, um, observation and decision. <laughs> I was like, observation you know, what yes. do I do with this? Yes and no. I mean, I'll be honest. I I remember I was 31. I was in a very serious relationship. Him and I were talking about marriage. In some ways, we were engaged, like planning our lives. He had my grandmother's wedding ring. He had talked to my parents, if that gives you an idea of where we were. And he really was starting to miss his evangelical roots, which was strange because when I met him, he was, he had deconstructed all of it and actually would have said he was agnostic, but he like had this like resurgence of wanting to be back in that. And so him and I went to this uh, non-denom church, actually the one I mentioned earlier that everyone here, we joke that everyone at some point goes to this church. It's super sexy. Oh, it's so sexy. Like whatever is going on in culture, they do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is very problematic. So I went mm-hmm. there with him and I remember sitting there and looking around and he, him and I, so he is half Polynesian, half uh, Caucasian, mm-hmm. and he passes as, as Caucasian, um, which was really hard actually in his family. Um, mm-hmm. But because he passes as a, Cauc- as a beautiful Caucasian man, um, and I myself am a, a white woman, we were sitting there and uh, I realized how much we looked like everybody in the room. And I was like, I like whispered in his ear, hey, do you you see everyone's the same? Isn't that weird? And he was like, why can't you just for once enjoy something? And I was like, and I remember thinking, I don't even fit in with you because you don't see this as a problem. And it was so isolating. And I, I did. I had that thought like, Sarah, why can't you just enjoy this thing without questioning it, without, I was like, I just think it's weird that everyone, you don't think it's weird that everyone's like looking the same and we're all wearing the same clothes. Like, you don't think this is weird? And he was like, no, I don't think it's weird. I think it's weirder that you can't just be. And um, 
it was like kind of the beginning of the end for us because I recognized I was never going to, I could sit there quietly and like pretend that I was super excited about all the stuff that those folks were excited about and not question like, oh gosh, that mission, mission trip sounds a lot like we're, we're bringing our stuff there. That doesn't sound good. Um, you know, <laughs> and I, I think that I was in it without, like I was, I guess I would say I, I was in it longer than I want to believe I was. Cause, he, and remember, I'm not telling anyone in that room that I'm a lead pastor at that point. Mm-hmm. Like instead I'm pretending to be this guy's significant other. That's my identity within that space is we're just this cute little Christian couple. I remember some woman being like, you guys could be the cover of Relevant Magazine. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. That's so fun. <laughs> so fun. All right. So you said he went back to evangelicalism that really, I don't know, for some reason that made me wonder, like, I wonder how many people go through deconstruction and then wind up back in, like, cause that seems unusual. Usually most people who come out go, oof, never again. Uh, well, I will tell you, I, it was so heartbreaking because I wanted to be a part of it. Does that make sense? Like I'm listening to the music mm-hmm. and I'm watching everyone's emotions and I'm yeah. like, what's wrong with me that I, what's wrong with me that I can't just be here. What's mm, yep. where where is their God and why can't I feel the same way they feel about their God? Because they're over here crying and I'm over here like literally writing notes about like where no one else thinks this, you know, and and I it, that year was really hard. I went to um went to a Christian concert because my friend owns a huge touring company. And I'm so lucky. Like when it comes to friends and music and all that I'm so lucky. And so he owns this touring company. So it was like a big band that everybody loved and a Christian band. And um, I, I tell this story because it's another big part of deconstructing. Someone had left this note on my door and um, it was like, <laughs> it was Reformation Sunday and some ass thought it was a good idea to put a note on my door about all the reasons why I couldn't be a lead pastor. Um, oh. But he like taped it, which I was like, Reformation Sunday, oh. like have some commitment, nail it, buddy. Um <laughs> But I had this like sense of like, again, just feeling so isolated. Right. Mm -hmm. And I went, this is the the same year I went to this, that fella and I, we, things kind of were sideways. You know, you think you're getting married, you think your life is going to look one way and then it goes sideways. So I'm trying to figure out like where to find culture and where to find community for me. And so getting that note on my door and then my friend invited me to this concert and I go to the concert and I do what I, you know, he has me backstage and I'm meeting the artists and I'm like, yay, good for you. You're a Christian rock star. Awesome. <laughs> but I'm like feeling this sense of like, I'm supposed to be like super impressed by this. And I am like, yay for you. But also like, you're just like all my other friends, rock stars that they work for, but like worse. Cause a lot of times the artists that are Christian artists, my friends who work in the industry are like, they are the absolute worst. Um, oh, yeah. They don't carry mm-hmm. their gear, all the stuff. So these guys actually are lovely, the band that we were um, seeing, but I went and sat in the sound booth with my friend who owns the company that, you know, has the record label. So I'm sitting in the sound booth and his like adorable daughters are in there. And this band comes out. That's like these super cute, like boy band dudes. And they're so sexy, like, and trying to be sexy. And they're like singing about God. And so my brain is like cognitive dissonance. Um, And I, this, I actually think this is the moment that I broke up with evangelicalism and I'm, looking around all these people are like screaming for them and hands are in the air and they're like singing songs that could be love songs 
or they could be about God. I don't know. And these girls are like singing them back mm -hmm. and it was very strange. And then they like paused and they're like, the reason we do this is we love Jesus. And everyone's like screaming. And I was like, I don't see the Jesus that I think I, this, mm -hmm. and I, I literally got up and I was like, Hey, I gotta go. And my friend was like, where are you going? And I was like, I, I can't. And he was like, you can't. I was like, I cannot Christian anymore. <laughs> and he was like, what do, you, what do you mean? And I was like, this isn't me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, you don't think this is weird? He's like, no, these guys are great. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I just, this isn't me. <laughs> he was like, okay. You're all right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like, this walked away. And wow. I just couldn't, I've never been able to go to a Christian concert since like, except for Flamey Grant, who's a drag queen who does Christian music. Um, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do, well, I, actually that's not true. I did go to Amy Grant, who I think is a wonderful human. Um, yes. but I can't go to that, like, that, like weird cultish, like we're sing can we all just admit these guys are really hot and half the people in the room want to bone them. Can we just like, is that like, <laughs> we're not doing that. We're just pretending that we're really okay. Like, well, you, you have to remember, Sarah, like my background is Christian radio. I went to nothing but Christian concerts, like mm -hmm. for years. And uh -huh. um, some of them lovely. Some of them are exactly Wonderful what you people. said. And it's, and yeah. it's very disorienting um, and a little frustrating. And I don't know it to me, it's like, well, they're just human, which is fine. Go be human. I mean, we're all humans, but like, don't pretend to be something so, that you're not, you know? And, and it breaks my heart because I had friends who were in the industry who were like won Dove Awards, which is like one time a guy tried to impress me with a Dove Award. I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird that that's in your living room, but all right. Um, I think these people wanted to succeed in the media and I don't hold any sort of, they thought that they could use the gifts they were given for God. That sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds yeah, absolutely yeah. great. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, Laura and Daigle will talk about being accepted only within one genre. Mm -hmm. And once you're in that genre, good luck getting out. Like Amy Grant's special because she's one of the only ones that did get out. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're like forced to live in this box. And most of the people that I know within that world are actually LGBTQI, totally inclusive, and they have to pretend they're not. Like all this crap that yeah. has nothing to do with any of this. So. Yeah, that was my, I was like 31 when I finally was like, I can't, I can't, I can't even like be adjacent. And it was really hard because I think, I think about the people who thought they knew me in that world. Right. And I, and I don't want to be cynical and I, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to be superior or cynical or any of those things. And I can, I can hear it sometimes in me. And I think some of it is feeling that sense of like, why couldn't I just fit in? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I know still exactly what you mean. I still felt like that immigrant kid who was trying to figure out, like, what's the culture here? How do I fit in? And the truth was, I was never going to fit in because I, you know, am a woman who was highly intelligent, well educated. Like, and that's like a privilege. And, and I'm so lucky that that was part of my story. But to pretend it wasn't um, mm -hmm. is, you know, isn't helpful to anyone either instead of using it for you know, to magnify voices that folks need to hear. Um, anyway. Yeah. So don't, don't think I was that great. I really only got out of it like in my, cause I still like would dabble in it. And I still, to, yeah. 
I still felt that sense of like, I wish that was me. Well, I think, I think a lot of us do. I, I think it's hard because, and, and, you know, talking about your, your ex-boyfriend, like wanting to go back, I get that. Like there've been days where I'm like, you know, it'd be a lot easier if I just go back to just not thinking and just believing what I'm taught and just not having to worry about anything and not having to call anything out and not having, you know, it would be so much easier. And then just to not have people mad at me and not respecting me and have, you know, but then I'm like, but what about myself? Am I going to respect, yeah, respect myself? Yeah. And, and that to me is what keeps me on this path. And it's, well, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I wish we could have it, it all. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so isolating too, because you know, part of that story too is eight months later, he met a girl at that church and married her. And mm -hmm. it was a crazy scenario that people were telling me about where like they met and they dated for two weeks and then they knew and then they got engaged. We're talking, we were together for years. And then to see him, A, become a huge part of that community and then B, get engaged and people be so excited because it's this wild love story where he was headed in one path, one path, but then he met the love of his life. By the way, they're not together anymore. Um, I was going to ask, but imagine why uh -huh. such, such a great foundation. I, I don't understand. No, you know, and they, and, and in her <laughs> no. defense, like, yeah, she had had a vision that they were meant to be together. And I, I laugh and I don't laugh, but the truth was, is like, I think every, if that's called, he's very attractive. Like yeah. everyone has a vision there to be with him. Um, <laughs> he laughs. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And he's charming and he's super handsome and he's very bright. And um, I think, and they were together for a while, so I'm not making fun of their connection, but I will say uh, it was interesting to me how, again, that, that voice in my head, if you'd only been able to just be her and be, mm -hmm. not be her, but be that version of me mm -hmm. that could sit in that church and support him in that thing and be part of the crazy and like all this stuff. And, and now years later, I'm looking back and actually it was just last year. Someone told me, Hey, you know what happened, right? Like he left. And I, I didn't feel a sense of like, um, I told you so, or like whatever. It was just more this like general, like, Oh, that's gotta be yeah. so hard. Cause within her, within her narrative, being a divorced woman is not, it's not, you know, as, as much as being a single woman is lowly, being a divorced mm -hmm. woman, whoo, um, you know, and, and I don't know. I think there's, there's so much in that story. And, and I think that really caused me to, to do some thinking about like that culture was never meant for me. And, and it's only more painful for me to try to fit into it. Um, because I don't know how not to talk and be honest about LGBTQI inclusion or anti-racism yeah. or, you know, what's going on in Gaza. Like I can't, like it's in me and yeah. it's my justice orientation and I can't do it. <laughs> and you shouldn't. And here's what I love about your story too, is like you not only found your path, but now you're helping others find theirs, including me. Um, I want to talk when we get back after the break. I want to talk a little bit about your coaching and sure. what brought you into that. <laughs> Welcome back. We're back with Sarah Heath today. And, uh, you know, before the break, we were talking about your coaching business, yeah. which I benefit from greatly. I love you. She is my coach. She has helped me so much in finding my voice. And I actually sent her a, a, a text the other day. I'm like, you know what? Thank you for being a voice that has helped me find my voice. And mm. 
I really feel like that's what you do as a coach. So what got you into this and, and all that yeah. good stuff? Wow. You know, that's, <laughs> it's such a long story, but I'll try to make it, I'm a pastor. So I, Karen, I have to like edit what I say. Cause I just, I'm like, and then that reminds me of this story. Um, but I was, uh, I was a pastor of a really cool community for five years that, um, was just everybody's dream in some ways. I got to redo the building, which for me is a big part of making space for people is thinking through how we do community and spatially. Um, my friend always jokes that I do spatial reconciliation. He does racial reconciliation. <laughs> and I, it was so great. And five years, we built this amazing community and I was so burnt out. And the way our structure was, it was very top heavy. I was having to do a lot of work. And, and you know, the story that you heard I was still a little bit damaged from having had these dreams of being partnered, having had these dreams of having a family and, and them not working out. And, and then I became a bit addicted to work and a bit addicted to achieving. I'm an Enneagram three, if you know anything about that cult. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, perform, 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 and eventually someone will love you if you perform enough. And that just wasn't the case in some ways. And so I left ministry on a high note with a really cool, diverse community we had done the work and I just said, I can't lead it anymore. And so stepping away was very painful for me. And I didn't think I wanted anything to do with that stuff for a while. And so can I ask we, what made you want to step away just out of curiosity? Um, yeah, I knew that I was burnt out. Uh, one of the things that I think people value about me, I hope is my presence. Um, and so by that, I try to be very, uh, very present to people, present to their needs. Um, and my cell phone would ping and I would have a visceral reaction. We're talking about embodiment again, where I, I didn't, I, I can't answer one more message. I can't do one more thing. And I think the reality of so many of my friends saying to me, like, Sarah, when are you going to have your own life? When are you mm -hmm. going to, and, and I, I, the Christmases where I would sit alone on a pew where I just created this like event for other people. And I felt like I was, again, that immigrant kid staring in the window, watching everyone else experience the beauty of this like hundred year old building and candles. And here I was completely alone and, and not alone. All those people love me. They'd all have me over for dinner if I wanted, but I had to figure out, I had to eat, pray, love. So, um, so I left uh, and it was painful. I think the, you know, you ask, how did I know? I think when I started not wanting to talk to people, when I started resenting um, phone calls in the night, when I started just like not being able to be creative with my messaging. Um, anyway, I just knew like, this isn't me anymore. And I can't. Yeah. And, and I was angry. I was angry. Mm -hmm. uh, where is my life? When is it going to be me? Um, and so I, I kind of was preparing to leave and um, there was a wonderful person in our community and I'd walked him through his journey of, he was a, he actually has a PhD from a pretty conservative school and he's a professor and coach and he coaches a lot of young men who are pastors and he kind of came into our church as like a secret. Like he was like a, him and his wife started coming and it's because they had encountered a queer woman on a pilgrimage and she was rad and they're like, we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so then they found our community was like, I really needed a female pastor and I didn't know what to do with that. My wife and I, and they just went through this huge journey with me. And so when I was leaving the church, he had said to me several times, I think you should be a coach. And I was like, I don't know what that is. 
Um, and also mm-hmm. like everybody is hanging out a shingle saying they can coach. And um, as you heard earlier, I'm a nerd. So I, I refuse to do things if I don't have the credentials behind it. Um, and that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, my friend procured me an Airstream and that's a whole nother story. Um, but I ended up moving up to Bend, Oregon for for a while with this Airstream and working on that and just like taking my life savings and disappearing, which was really important for me to do. And disappearing um, on my way to like do that, my friend was like, hey, this university is starting a credential program. You would be Mm -hmm. the first class of it, but you can get your ACC or ICF ACC accreditation. And I'm like, well, that's a lot of letters. Um, I like letters behind my name. Um, And it was not going to be that expensive. And it wasn't that he was just like, Sarah, like the things that you're super good at, like helping people like know, like the questions that you can ask this gift of what he calls discernment. Um, You know, how much you're so invested in other people's stories. Like this is really hard for me actually being interviewed by podcasts because I love interviewing people. Um, (laughs) And so sitting in that, uh, I decided to take the class. And the, the funny part was, is as soon as I left ministry, I had people reaching out to me being like, hey, um, do you coach people? And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I had clients before I was even accredited. And um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it went from a lot of people who are thinking about leaving ministry or changing their spirituality or thinking through changing careers to a lot of now I'm working with a lot of executive or folks who like do the thing and they're like, I got to the top of my game, but I'm still, there's still something in me. And so I mm. always say that I try to help people get from this to that and make space for whatever it is in them that feels like there is more to this. And whether that's learning to be like really rooted and deeply happy with where they're at or whether it's thinking and dreaming outside of that. And so um, super lucky. I'm terrible at advertising. Um, Leslie calls me out on it all the time. I do. Uh, I'm like, why aren't you talking about your coaching on your podcast? <laughs> I know. She's and like, I did last time I and know. I hated it. I oh, did. Stop I, it. I, I hate it. People know what you do. It's good. Ah, thanks. You're so sweet. No, I, I had gone to um, the Chiefs versus the Charger football game and I'd had three margaritas and then I did a, my podcast and oh, no. and I listened to it and it was the most annoying because uh, my ADHD gets worse when I drink oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and so I wasn't finished sending since I kept saying I think uh, I kept like giggling and I kept <laughs> I kept talking about coaching because Leslie had told me like the day before that I should talk about my coaching, but I don't know that it made sense. Uh, but there we are. And I did it. And there by I'm New so Year's, if you want to laugh, listen to Rev Covery, the one about the New Year's and know that I'm three margaritas in. Three margaritas um, in. Nice. And they weren't even like I listened to it this morning. Karen, oh, you did? What I did. Was, I, was I giggling? I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah. I thought you were sweet. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not know you were three margaritas. You I did not know you were three margaritas. I might be exaggerating (laughs) it, but I definitely was like, oh well, let's do this. You know, because I was at the Chiefs versus the Charger game and it was fun. And I was like Taylor Swift, I was in a box. Um, so yes, I do coaching. I'm passionate about it. Um I love gosh, it is such an honor to me, um, both as a pastor. And now as a coach and consultant, it is an honor to me that people would allow me into their lives 
to journey with them, whatever that looks like, and getting to see people achieve things that they thought they could not do. And then watching them succeed really brings me so much joy. And I think in some ways fulfills that like part of me that, you know, was a pastor because I wanted to see people be their best versions of themselves. So yeah, I love, I love getting to do it. I love working with teams and helping them be healthier. Um, I think because I've been in really, so I've just been reading and studying and I got my credential, which is great. They give you this like little pin you can wear. When will I ever wear it? I won't. Um, but it is, yeah. The letters. I had the letters behind my name. Uh, so yeah, I coach and it's been neat. Like I, it's opened a lot of doors and I think no matter what I do vocationally, I will always, a piece of me will also be coaching whatever that looks like. It's funny. I tell people I am, I am a life coach, but I also go to one and, you know, I feel like the guy with the hair club for men. Remember he was like, Uh I am not just the owner of hair club Uh for men. I am also a client. I I always feel like, (laughs) like, I feel like it's such an important thing mm-hmm. that I do it myself, you know, so I am not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I and I think, think I'm amazing. I think I'm also really acutely aware that a lot of people come out of ministry feeling like they need to be an expert, right? Mm-hmm. We were taught that our value was being the expert in the room. Um, and so I'm, I'm really cognizant of that. And I see a lot of former pastors becoming like, coaches and spiritual coaches and all these things. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I knew that that wasn't, I wanted to be careful of that. I wanted to make sure that my identity wasn't in needing to be the, always be the expert and worth in that. And so, yeah, it has taken me a while to be honest about doing that. Um, that's because so in some important, way, yeah, I fell into it, um, in some ways and, yeah, there's just been a lot of movement for folks. And I love, I love that. Like I said, I like watching people step into yeah. the next thing. Yeah. And like journeying with them beside them. That's what I love about coaching is like with coaching, it's not, you're not an expert at really anything. You just listen and you, you know, journey with somebody. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do. And so I think that when I first started going into coaching and doing the schooling for it. I, I was so afraid I was going to do exactly what you just said and step into something that I was, I felt like I was an expert because I was always the speaker and the writer Mm -hmm. and on the radio and doing the things that were so public. And I was always the one talking and I had to literally learn in my coach training to shut up, just Mm -hmm. shut up and listen. And it was amazing. Like, it's just a whole different life you know, when you can just shut up and listen. <laughs> well, it's also just like the the thing I've always believed to be true, which is that people are returning to themselves. Like even mm-hmm. my theology is like this idea of like returning to like who you were meant to be, returning to yourself, returning to the fact that like, I think people often know what they want and what they need. And it's about asking the right questions and doing the right exercises with people. And I've just seen my, my friend. So my other friend I had the one friend who was like, I think you should do this. Here's how you do the schooling. I had another friend who she's this incredible woman, uh, Laura Foster. She's an ama- amazing coach and she is high end for sure in that world. And I see how much she brings out of people. And mm-hmm. I thought, 
and even myself. Like, I don't think I would have left ministry had I not spent some time with her. One time I was just in a really desperate spot and she was like, let's talk through this. Like, what do you imagine in the next five years? And I was like, I've never really, it's always been, what's the church going to look like in the next five years? Not what do I want and need in my life? I'd never paused to think about it. Um, It was always reactionary to what was happening around me. I didn't think I was allowed to have wants and needs. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's my, that's my joy is getting to help people think through what they want and need, and then actually creating an actionable action plan towards those things. Um, And I think it's been a, a, a return to myself. My first book is kind of around this. And I wrote that in 2016. I mean, really, truly, um, this has always been a part of me, I think. Oh, I agree. I, I, you are definitely very gifted at it and I've enjoyed you working with you, but also getting to know you. I, it's funny. I was like, I know you're my coach, but I feel like you're my friend. She's like, Oh no, no, no. We're friends. That's fine. We're friends. (laughs) friends. But okay. So tell me a little bit about making spaces. What is this? Mm -hmm. So making spaces is years ago. Um, I was part of a, a branding group, which is like, what the heck is that? Um, I was supposed to be on a sabbatical, uh, which my church gave me a month to be on a sabbatical, which I still had to speak at two events whilst on on sabbatical. So I every seven years, we're supposed to be able to be on a huge sabbatical. But my church, because I just started it, restarted it, they were like, you can have a month. So as part of that, I signed up because I'm an <laughs> idiot. I signed up for this like self-branding thing because my friends were running it and they were like, please come on. This is the initial time we're going to do it. What's funny about that is my current co-host of Recovery, we were in the same thing and we did not know each other. And that was years before we actually met. But in it, they asked us to just describe everything that you do in one sentence. And I was so burnt out and so tired that it just flew out of my mouth that all I do is make space. Mm. Because... Part of my story is like I flipped every church physically, like the aesthetics. Everything is always about making space, whether that's for folks who are marginalized or whatever it might be. It's getting out of the way, but also making space for myself. And so I started a podcast during the pandemic about making spaces, literally and figuratively. And I talked to designers that talked about like how do we corporately think about space. So I like started talking about like spaces for gathering during the pandemic. It was great. And we did it for a year, just myself and some friends. And then I couldn't do the editing anymore. And then I had a friend and she came on and and the show just like kind of took a different turn, you know, as it would when another creative person comes in. And we did that for a couple years, a couple seasons. And it was it was good. And then I decided to name my coaching and consulting company the same thing, Making Spaces, because that's all I'm doing. I'm not deciding what your thing is. I'm just making space for that thing that you know is your thing. So all that to say, this year we decided to bring back Making Spaces as a podcast, just with myself as the host. But <laughs> about a year ago, I was listening to, and I that was years ago that we, so we started that in 2020. About a year ago, I was 2022, I was listening to one of my favorite murder podcasts because I love a murder podcast. And I think it was Dateline. And the host of ABC Today or whatever ABC's thing is, she has a podcast called Making Space. And I, and I know. And I had that whole Elizabeth Gilbert and Big Magic talks about that moment when you're like, no, but that was my thing. And (laughs) it was sort of a call to me to like, all right, I need to like, 
actually keep doing the thing, even though we have the same name and maybe one day I'll meet her. But yeah, so that's making spaces. And that's where that comes from, because I don't want to deny that part of me is a designer even working on my Airstream, that's about making a space that I really can't wait for it to be a space for other people. So yeah, did that answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. And the you're also on a podcast called Recovery, which we've talked about a little bit, which I think you guys focus mostly on people who are leaving ministry, considering leaving ministry or changing careers, just kind of mm-hmm. helping people feel, well, making space for them to share their stories, right? Yeah, it's there's nothing more isolating. Um, and it's so funny, Karen, I read a little bit about your story. So I know, you know, the transition feeling, um, there's nothing more isolating than changing from being like vocationally one thing to another when it feels like no one else quite gets it. And the truth is, is it's happening more and more and more. Most people aren't like starting a career in one thing and ending in that thing. Um, that's not as big, you know, there's this gig economy, there's all of this stuff going on. And so like, we're finding even like doctors are listening to it that don't want to be doctors anymore. Um, cause they're trying to figure out like, how do you leave a job? Everyone thinks is so great. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting how people feel so isolated in that time. So hoping mm-hmm. to create community for folks during it. And I love, I love our little discord chat yeah. group. Yeah, it's it's so fun. good. Yeah, there's like a, a place that they have on Discord where you can go and be online and a member of this. And like we have once a month sort of meet up on FaceTime and it's super great. So thank it's you so for fun. that. Yeah, of course. I think and it's good to for, hear me too. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's good for all of us. And mm-hmm. um, Sarah, thank you for You're welcome. Thanks giving for- us so much time today and for sharing your journey. We honor it. We think it's oh, thanks. pretty freaking amazing. You've been through so much and you've you've come through so much and and now you're giving back and I love it. And I'm benefiting from it. And I know there are a lot of people that are as well. So thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, for both of you, it's so good to chat for sure. Karen, did you have anything you wanted to say? I know poor I Karen. Like I have, if I have hijacked she's only being, interview. She's only being quiet, guys. We're, we're just yeah. going to give you how a little uh, view in the back. She's only being quiet because her her uh, connection hasn't been good, but she's done great. Yeah. And we're proud of you, Karen. <laughs> I'm making space for you both. There you go. Yeah. Oh, this, thank you. Yeah. Think about it. I, yeah. That whole, yeah. I'm going in and out. So. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. But, but Karen really is usually a lot more involved in the (laughs) interview process. Well, thank you for joining us today for honoring the journey. We will be back next time and can't wait to spend some time with you and share another amazing journey with you. Mm